Blog Talk Radio. The Go Radio Network, in conjunction with blogtalkradio.com, presents The Comedy Shack. Greetings and salutations to you. I'm Joey Harris, your host. Thank you for joining me this week. For those listening live or later on demand via Bluetooth or headphones in your car or on your computer, notebook, netbook, tablet, or phone, I am honored that you have joined me for this show. And we are going to get right to it. We're going to dive directly into this week's show and start off with our joke of the week. It's a classic joke premise that you've heard a thousand times. I really enjoy this take on it. How many mentions does it take to change a light bulb? How many mentions? That is, people who are in MIPSA, the um, Society for People with Large IQs. Well, the answer is 66. Eleven philosophers to ponder whether it is possible to actually do anything. Ten semanticists to debate the various possible meanings of each phrase, word, and syllable. Nine columnists to write about it from radically different viewpoints. Eight letter writers to respond vehemently with opposing points of view. Seven quibblers who delight in pointing out others' mistakes. What is said is not as important as saying it correctly. Six conservatives who believe that things should stay the way they are. Five liberals who believe that action should be taken immediately to form a committee to study possible action. Four ornery SOBs who disagree on principle, which anything anyone else has suggested. Three peacemakers who believe it is more important to work it out without showing any more emotion than necessary to get it done. Two statisticians who maintain that numbers are more important than facts. And one pragmatist to ignore the bureaucratic piles of paperwork and replace the bad bulb with a good one. Whilst all this is going on, all the mentions are keeping count in their heads just to make absolutely sure what it really adds up to is 66. Uh, I just thought that was so funny. Anyway, going on to what I call, I guess, my, my a list that I want to talk about slash recommendation of the week. And this time I want to talk about my top ten Christmas shows. That is the top ten shows that I like to watch sometimes around Christmas that always reminds me of the holiday. <laughs> and counting them down from 10, I had some that just I like. I just had to struggle to get this list down to 10. So there are perennials that I also like that I, I mentioned but just didn't make the list. Frosty the Snowman, the great animated special, How the Grinch Stole Christmas, both the animated special, and the live-action film starring Jim Carrey, you know, things like that just didn't make the list. But starting off, number 10, the first uh, movie we're going to talk about this week on my top 10 Christmas shows is Scrooge. Scrooge is a 1988 American comedy film. It's a modern take on Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol, which has been done, you know, many times. I just really enjoy this take on it. The film is produced and directed by Richard Donner, um, screenplay written by Mitch Glazer and Michael O'Donoghue, original music score by Danny Elfman, you know, stars Bill Murray, Karen Allen, Bobcat Goldthwait, John Forsythe, Carol Kane, John Houseman, 
and Robert Mitchum. Um, and it is the uh, story of Frank Cross, uh, played by Neil Murray, the clinical television program, programming executive. He's found great success and wealth, but only by becoming cold-hearted and cruel. Um, his ruthless concentration on his career is costing his true love, Claire Phillips, played by Karen Allen, also alienated from his brother James, and ruined any chance of having a happy and fulfilling life. Um, he overworks his assistant, Grace Cooley, played by Alfred Woodard, forcing her to constantly break plans with her family and neglect her mute son, Cal. Um, and it just goes there, all centered around this um, live Christmas Eve broadcast of A Christmas Carol, and his life begins to mirror the story that he is producing. And, you know, he's visited by Lou Hayworth, his former mentor, the corpse, the former mentor, uh, played by John Forsythe, and then visited by the Ghost of Christmas Past, played by David Johansson, the Ghost of Christmas Present, um, played by Carol Kane, the Ghost of Christmas Teacher, a seven-foot-tall ghoul with TV screen for a face, and just shows him the error of his ways as they take him through his life, um, and at the end, he, you know, changes and, and and shows up for the live broadcast of A Christmas Carol. Um, and they sing at the end, Put a Little Love in Your Heart, which was a big um, hit that year. And everybody that year, if you were talking about playing a popular song from a movie, they were just inundated with requests to play the song Kokomo from the movie Cocktail. Well, it was getting to around the Christmas season, and I guess put a little love in your heart. And they just come out, and the guy says, I'm not going to play Cocktail anymore. If you want a song, a really good movie, that's a really good song, and we'll play this. And he played Put a Little Love in Your Heart, and I have thought about that ever since, and it is going on 25 years now since that has happened, but it just stayed in my head ever since. So that is number 10, the movie Scrooge. Counting down now to number 9, another film, but a more classic film, a 10-year-old film. This is the movie Elf, of course, starring Will Ferrell, um, James Caan, Bob Newhart, Ed Asner, Zoe Deschanel, released in the United States on November 7, 2003, grossed over $220 million dollars worldwide. Story about one of Santa's elves who learns of his true identity as a human and goes to New York City to meet his biological father, spreading Christmas cheer in a world of cynics as he goes. I don't need to tell you about this movie. I know you have seen it. There's so many iconic things. Uh, Force him screaming, Santa's coming, and the spaghetti with the syrup, and um, the just just all the great things about New Heart and um, decorating the place for Christmas and all of that. But what I remember is um, I will tell you a little bit more about my own personal experience with the, the local radio station manager who was just always a grumpy 
man and just always seemed to have a sad and pessimistic outlook on life, saw this movie and enjoyed it and would answer the phone on the radio or off at the radio station, Buddy the Elf, what's your favorite color? And I think if I, you know, live to be 100, I will never forget that. So I know you all have seen this movie. If you have not, um, there's now a stage musical that goes around uh, for it, but you do yourself a favor and go out and watch Elf. And I'm sure it's playing many times over the holiday season, but if not, very easy to go rent or download. And that is number nine, movie Elf. Number eight, not as well-known, but it has always been just a perennial favorite of mine. Our number eight uh, special is Clip the Night Before Christmas, the 1974 TV special from Rankin Bath, animated Christmas television special, based on the famous 1823 poem that opens with the flying. The special first aired on CBS on December 8, 1974, and aired there annually until 1994 when the Family Channel, which is now ABC Family, took over its syndication rights. Um, it's told and sung by Joel Gray, who does the um, <clears throat> poem part of it, but it's really narrated by George Gogol, because there's more emphasis on the point of view of Father Mouth. It's set in the fictitious uh, town of Junctionville, New York, around the turn of the 20th century. Santa Claus is defended by an anonymous letter printed in the town's newspaper and find all of us claiming that he doesn't exist. In response, Santa returns the entire town letters to them unopened. Upon reading, reading the anonymous letter printed in the newspaper, Father Mouth, voiced by George Goble, a mouth assistant to the human clock maker, Joshua Trundle, voiced by Joel Gray, immediately suspects that it's his brainy son Albert that's his author. Albert, voiced by Tammy Grimes, confirms his suspicions, repeating the letter verbatim to him. Father Mouth and the Trundle family devised a plan to appease Santa by building a singing clock tire to him. Built with a special recording to play a song to coach him not the best bypass junction deal on Christmas Eve. Unfortunately, Albert enters the clock to explore it without permission and inadvertently damages it seriously, thus rendering it inoperable and seriously damaging Trundle's professional reputation. Furthermore, the mayor publicly embarrassed that the clock tower's failure refuses to give the clockmaker access to it for repairs. Confessing his mistake, Albert volunteers to repair himself, and Father Mouth tells Joshua of the situation before waiting at his bed with a worry on Christmas Eve. Although Albert does not complete his task until about one minute after the midnight deadline, the clock does play its song with the near shot of Santa, which has convinced him to turn around and come to town after all. It's also got this wonderful, wonderful song, uh, Even a Miracle Needs a Hand, that I just I just love. So it plays on um, ABC Family now. If you can, track it down. And it's just a wonderful, wonderful uh, Christmas special. Counting down now again to number seven on our list, the film Like Christmas. It's a 1954 American musical film directed by Michael Curtis, starring Dean Crosby, Danny Kaye, Jerry Ellen, and Rosemary Clooney. Um, 
filmed in Technicolor. It features the songs of Irving Berlin, including the title song, White Christmas. On Christmas Eve, 1944, somewhere in Europe, two World War II U.S. Army buddies, one a Broadway entertainer, Bob Wallace, played by Bing Crosby, the other a would-be entertainer, Phil Davis, uh, give a show to the troops of the 151st Division in a forward area. But the mood is somber. Word has come down that their beloved commanding officer, Major General Thomas F. Waverly, is being relieved of command. He arrives for the end of the show and delivers an emotional farewell. The men give him a rousing send-off, and an enemy artillery barrage ensues. David saves loss of life by carrying him out the way of a toppling wall, wounding his own arm slightly in the process. Using his wounded arm to tell Bob he doesn't expect any special obligations, Phil convinces Bob to join forces as an entertainment duo when the war is over. Phil uses his wound to get Bob to do what he wants, becoming the running gag. And then they make it big in nightclubs, radio, and on Broadway. They become successful producers. And eventually, Mount Lee Lewis hit musical entitled Playing Around. Um, and then um, it, it just goes on from there and leading to a um, arousing uh, finale. So if you can, please look that up with holidays, people. That, again, is White Christmas. And now, next on our show, number six, the perennial favorite Rudolph, the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Christmas television special produced in stop-motion animation by Rankin Bass. First aired Sunday, December 6, 1964, on the NBC television network in the United States. It was sponsored by General Electric, under the umbrella title of the General Electric Fantasy Hour. Uh, special was based on Johnny Marks, called Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Um, since 1972, the special has aired on CBS. It's a network unveiling a high-definition, digitally remastered version of the program in 2005. As with A Charlie Brown Christmas and How the Grinch Stole Christmas, Rudolph no longer airs just once annually for several times during the Christmas and holiday season and on several cable channels, including ABC Family. It's been telecast every years since 1964, making it the longest-running Christmas TV special in history and one of only four 1960s Christmas specials still being telecast, the other being a Charlie Brown Christmas, How the Grinch Stole Christmas, Frosted Snowman. Um, you know the plot. Uh, Donner's life gives birth to a baby fall named Rudolph. The tour shot that scheduled Rudolph so usually that nose capable of going. Uh, he uh, won't be invited to the reindeer games. And uh, Clarice, he runs away with Herman the Elf, dentist. They cheerfully meet uh, Yukon Cornelius, and all of that is just a fantastic thing. The version uh, that was originally aired. Um, Did not um, have the Island of Misfit Toys. So viewers were so taken by the form of Misfit Toys that many complaints Santa was not seen fulfilling his promise to include them 
in his annual delivery. In reaction, a new scene for subsequent rebroadcast exclusive, Santa making his first stop at the island to pick up the toys. This is the ending that has been shown on all television uh, telecasts and video releases ever since. However, to make room, several sequences were deleted. The instrumental bridge from We Are Santa's Elves, Rudolph and Hermes duet reprise of We're a Couple of Misfits. Additional dialogue about our lives and the peppermint mind theme resolving the fate of Yukon Cornelius. A new duet, Fame and Fortune, was shot for a revised version that put in the place of We're a Couple of Misfits. The special's 1998 restoration is called um, Misfit returned to its original film context while the 2004 DVD release showcased the same fortune as a separate number. So, a fantastic thing. You need to absolutely pump this down. If you've never seen it, you should be ashamed of yourself, first of all. But please hunt this down. Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Up next, in at number five, A Charlie Brown Christmas. The story touches on the over-commercialization and secularism, secularism of Christmas and serves to remind viewers the true meaning of Christmas, the birth of Jesus Christ. Continuing the theme explored by satirists such as Stan Freeberg and Tom Lair during the 50s. Uh, Charlie Brown Christmas is the first primetime animated TV special based from the comic strip Peanuts by Charles Show. Produced and directed by former Warner Brothers and UPA animator Bill Melendez, who also supplied the voice for the character of Snoopy. Initially sponsored by Coca Cola, the special debuted on CBS in 1965 and has aired in the USA during the Christmas season every year since on CBS through the year 2000 and on ABC since 2001. Long and annual telecast special now shown at least twice during the week leading up to Christmas. It was just shown this past week. Um, just so much great music, so many um, great dialogue um, from uh, Charlie Brown's sister, Sally, who asked him to write her letter to Santa Claus, meeting this, um, with his doghouse decoration, um, the um, play that they're putting on, the getting of the tree, and then the tree that they actually get. Linus is reluctant about Charlie Brown's choice, but Charlie Brown is convinced that after decorating it, it will be just right for the play. They return to the auditorium with the tree, and everybody laughs at Charlie Brown. In desperation, Charlie Brown begins to wonder if he really knows what Christmas is all about. Linus states he can tell him and recites from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, verses 8-14, from the Authorized King James Version. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the fields, keeping watch over the flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you 
is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace and goodwill towards men. That's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. It just gets you every single time. Next up, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation coming in at number four on our list. It's a 1989 Christmas comedy film directed by Jeremiah F. Schechter. It's the third installment of National Lampoon's Vacation film series. It was written by John Hughes based on a short story in National Lampoon magazine, Christmas 59. The film stars Chevy Chase, Beverly D'Angelo, and Randy Quaid with Juliette Lewis and Johnny Galecki as the Griswold children, Audrey and Rusty. And uh, since its release in 1989, Christmas Vacation has often been labeled as a modern Christmas classic. Uh, you know it. It's a wonderful film. Also starring Julia Louis Drivers, Nicholas Guest, Miriam Flynn, Nate Questrel as Aunt as Aunt Bethany, who was also um, Betty Boop, uh, the Carson voice of Betty Boop, uh, William Hickey, Doris Roberts, E.G. Marshall, Diane Lane, John Randolph. Just a fantastic movie. Uh, it's on Netflix now. If you uh, want just a couple hours of this funny, funny movie, uh, watch National Anthem's Christmas Vacation. Coming in at number three, the perennial Christmas movie, It's a Wonderful Life, 1946 American Christmas fantasy drama film produced and directed by Frank Capra, based on the short story, The Greatest Gift. <clears throat> the film is considered one of the most loved films in America cinema has become traditional viewing during Christmas season. Um, so you need to watch this. It is on NBC typically Christmas Eve. Um, and uh, for, for years it has fallen out of copyright and so it was shown over and over again during the holiday season um, as a time filler that uh, TV shows could, um, TV stations could put out and um, didn't have to pay anything, but then it fell back into copyright, NBC picks it up, and now they show it on uh, Christmas Eve. Despite initially performing poorly at the box office due to high production costs and stiff competition at the time of release, the film has come to regard as a classic and is a staple of Christmas television around the world. Theatrically, the film's break-even point was actually $6.3 million, approximately twice the production cost. The figure it never came close to achieving its original release. An appraisal in 2006 reported, although it was not the complete box office failure that today everyone believes, it was initially a major disappointment and confirmed that reached the studio that Capital was no longer capable of turning out the popular features that made his film a must-be money-making event they once were. And now it's considered one of the most critically acclaimed films ever made, and I made it for five Oscars. 
has been recognized by the American Film Institute as one of the 100 best American films ever made, um, placing number 11 on its initial 1998 list, and also placed number one on its list of most inspirational American films of all time. So that's number three, It's a Wonderful Life. Coming in at number two, a different uh, sort of special it's a episode, the only Christmas episode of the Andrew Griffith Show. It's from season one, episode 11, entitled, uh, directed by Bob Sweeney, written by David Adler. Uh, first show on December 19, 1960, 53 years ago this month, despite being forced to wreck bootlegger, Sam Muggins at Christmas time, Andy still manages to have the most wonderful Christmas in Mayberry. Folks, um, to me, this is a lot of what Christmas is all about. I remember growing up, my parents uh, ran a Sears catalog for many years, and so we would typically stay with our next-door neighbors, uh, Mimi and Butch, on Christmas Eve until my parents got off work, Christmas Eve being a popular uh, day uh, for my parents' work because I seen everybody come out and pick up their uh, presents that they had ordered. And I just remember our local CBS affiliate, WRL, um, at least in my memory, always playing this sometime during the day on Christmas. Uh, and so it just Seeing it over and over again as you're little and the story still holds up, it's funny, it's poignant. Um, you see Andy Griffiths along with Eleanor Donahue and Kelly Walker do a duet of Away and a Manger that would just blow you away. Features them having a great time at the courthouse with all of the food and decorations that they brought in and gifts, and it's just got a fantastic message on Netflix. Uh, you will enjoy that. You get a couple of spare moments on Christmas and you look this up on Netflix or wherever you can get it. Maybe you've got the DVD. Pull the DVD out, put it in, and just enjoy for about 30 minutes or so, a little less than 30 minutes since there are no commercials. But it will just put a smile on your face and maybe a twinkle in your eye as you go about your holiday. And, of course, Number one, it has to be my favorite Christmas movie. You will see it if you can. If you, if you don't want to see this movie, it's, because, it's not because you can't. Because they show it for 24 hours on TDS. Of course, it last year was uh, selected for preservation in the National Film Registry by the Library of Congress, being culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant. Number one on our list, A Christmas Story. Of course, it is the story of Ralphie and his hunt for the perfect Christmas present. He wants a Red Rider, B.B. Young. It's a 1983 film based on the short stories and semi-fictional anecdotes of author and raconteur Gene Shepard based on his book In God We Trust, All Others Stay Cash with some elements derived from Wanda Hickey's Night of Golden Memory, directed by Bob Clark, 
just a wonderful thing, just so many great things from that. The want of the BB, the um, You'll Shoot Your Eye Out Kid, the uh, Rule of Annie, the Scott Parker's affair, um, his dad with the Oldsmobile and the Furnace, uh, Frangile, Mostly Italian, all of that, and just, it's just, I, I can't say too much for this film. If you have not seen it, um, like I said before, first of all, shame on you. You, you shouldn't see it. I've always loved it. My love has no bounds for it. On Christmas Eve, folks, my dad and I make a plan to sit down for steak, all otters, and watch this film together. During that time, I joined a crew to live tweet the film. And we've been doing it for a few years now. It is just a fantastic film and a great time. I put on my You'll Shoot Your Eye Out Kid t-shirt and my pajama pants. And it just, it brings back so many wonderful uh, memories. And the shot in Cleveland, that house is in uh Cleveland, the Tremont neighborhood of Cleveland's West Side. I, I um, echo Larry Miller's sentiment when he said it's not that that house is in Cleveland, it's that Cleveland is in that house. And it is just a, a great, great story. Director Bob Clark, the late Bob Clark, saying the film DVD commentary, that he and Gene Shepard wished for the movie to be seen as amorphously late 30s, early 40s, but the specific year is uh, never mentioned. The, the car that Parker family drive is an Oldsmobile, uh, 37 Oldsmobile Model F, 37 four-door trunk back sedan. Um, that's number one on my list, A Christmas Story. Just a great, great film. Oh, my. So that's my top ten list. Uh, number ten, Scrooge. Number nine, Elf. Number eight, Spoke the Night Before Christmas. Coming in at number seven, White Christmas. Six, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Five, Charlie Brown Christmas. Four, Christmas Vacation. Three, It's a Wonderful Life. Um, the Christmas episode, A Christmas Story of Dan Griffith Show. And number one, A Christmas Story. Leading into our main story, which is some looks at Christmas over my lifetime. I turned 6 January the 16th, 1994. And that um, summer, I got my first job. I was a bagger at a grocery store. Those were good times. Wasn't getting a lot of money, but then again, I was a teenager. I didn't need all that much money. Um, and so I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed the work that I did. I enjoyed the people that I worked with mostly. And I remember it was December 23rd, 1994, and I was at work. And a sickness hit me hard. I had the flu. I had a stomach virus all at the same time. I got violently ill and was sent home. 
sometime in the middle of the night, I got up to get something to drink, and I fainted for the first time in my life. Landed in a puddle of Diet Mountain Dew. Delirious, I made my way to my parents' bedroom and collapsed in their floor. So I was quarantined. Me and my family all got together at my aunt and uncle's house to gift, and I was not there. I was not there because I was at my parents' house by myself. Christmas is a time to be together, folks. And you don't understand that until you have no choice but to be by yourself. I call that the flu Christmas. Feeling great. Just wandering around. It let me appreciate things in life. Fast forward a few years. I just graduated college. As I tell people, I didn't have a plan. I didn't even have a plus. So I got a job working security at a manufacturing plant. And being one man on the totem pole, I had to work. That Christmas morning from 8 until 4. I didn't mind it so much that the plant was closed and I only got one call all day from my boss seeing how things were going. Um, But I had rushed out of the house in order to make it um, to work on time and release the man who had been there overnight so he could go home and enjoy Christmas with his family. And I looked and I was very disheveled. And to tell you the truth, I was kind of ashamed of that. I had started to try to make uh, something of myself and my appearance. Luckily, I had gotten a few things to get on various uh, places that I had been, and they were still in my car. So looking around to make sure that nobody was around, when I went on my next round of the building, I took the stuff. Um, razor and shave gel and aftershave lotion. Just looked my hair down some so that it looked halfway presentable. Straightened myself up. Unbuttoned my shirt and took my t-shirt off. I wet my face with the hot water and shaved. Make sure my hair was still looking good. I put on that the shade and then tidied myself back up. And it made me feel a little bit better. You know, just because you're alone, I learned, doesn't mean you have to be alone. I had some good food. I had a couple of books to keep me company. Things were looking pretty good. Fast forward exactly one year. I finally cracked in the show business. Well, at least a little way. 
I told you before about that radio station boss. Well, I was working for that radio station. WIZS, 1450 AM out of Henderson, North Carolina. On December 25th of 2001, I had a long four-hour stretch there in the middle of Christmas Day. Ten to two. I got there about 9.45, and the woman who had been there since six said it was a special day. Actually, the man who came in after me uh, got tongue-tied. He's a teenager. So she tried to limit this time on the air. Did double things on Christmas so that we could get the most enjoyment out of it. We were only playing Christmas music, and other than giving the time and the temperature, we were not to talk. The first two hours of my shift, other than the news at the top of the hour and the weather at the bottom of the hour, there was no talking and there was no commercial. Two straight hours of Christmas music, commercial free. At noon, we started playing commercials, but along with the news and the weather spoken by me, again, no talking. So I had four hours of playing Christmas music. What I didn't know was, and what I had forgotten was, that there are still only people at Christmas. And some of the people who called that day, their only companions were the radios that they kept by their side. Not having any family or not being able to be with their family or their friends, I was their only friend and companion that Christmas morning and early afternoon. I remember one woman calling me and asking me to play Blue Christmas by Elvis as many times as I could. I told her I could try to sneak it in once an hour. And she said she understood so that she was just so lonely on Christmas and that that song just helped her make it through. It reminded her of happy times when she was younger, when Elvis was still alive. When she was around friends and family, and it seemed like the future was so bright, maybe things didn't turn out the way that she had wanted them to turn out. But in the space of a few minutes, while the king of rock and roll sang that Christmas song, she could at least feel young. I spoke earlier about a Christmas story and it coming from the tales of Gene Shepard. Gene Shepard for many years had a radio show in New York where he would talk overnight. And many people would say that he really didn't have any notes. He may have jotted a couple of things down, but he didn't have notes. A lot of these things just sprung from his head. 
and he would wax eloquently for hours at a time, just off the top of his head, regaling people with stories as the great raconteur that he was. And sitting there in that tight radio control booth, the heater just spitting out a little warmth from the corner, the air so cold and crisp outside. The fugue of cigarette smoke that hung in the air, regardless of whether there were a hundred people in that little cramped space, smell of cigarettes just invaded your nostrils because it was in everything. And I knew how Gene, Gene Shepherds must have felt. Well, I'm sure many times he had been reached out through the airways by people who just felt lonely and needing just somebody to be there, somebody on the other side. I understand that so, so well. Because I get reminded of that over and over again. This past February was not a high point in my life. Over the past year before then, I was done. My marriage and long-term relationship with my wife had broken down. I lost my job. I was in another relationship that was well on its way of ending. And I didn't know how to stop it. Couldn't find a job. The bill collectors calling on a daily basis. And I didn't know what I was going to do. Some days it was a struggle to get up and go on. Always fighting, always figuring out how to stay one step ahead and make sure I took care of myself. Had a roof over my head and enough food to live. And in the midst of all that, my good friend, Big TJ, reached out. I didn't have anything going for me. He took a chance based on years of friendship. And I'm forever grateful for reaching out and asking me if I wanted to do a show. I leapt at the opportunity.
he asked me if I wanted it to be a half hour or an hour. I said, let's go for an hour. He said, all right. And he named it the Comedy Shack. And then he turned the rings over to me. And I don't know what has happened to all of those previous shows. If I look, I'm sure I can dig them up. That first hour was hard to go through. But I made it through. And I came back the next week. Made it through that and then came back the next week and have managed to come in every week since then. And I thank you all for tuning in and allowing me to take and share this ride with you. I hope you've enjoyed it. That's all I know I have. My life is better now. As I shared with you a few weeks ago, I'm taking those small steps back. I'm not all there yet. But I'm farther along than I was before. And I thank you all for that. I thank Big PJ for that. For giving me this just when I needed it. And so, now, it is the big announcement time. Drum roll, please. Folks, this is the last episode of the Comedy Shack. I know you all are in awe and and, in shock, but while this is the last episode of the Comedy Shack, I'm not going away. You didn't think it was going to be that easy to get rid of No. It's the last episode of the Comedy Shack because I'm moving. And along with that move comes a whole lot of new opportunities. And with those opportunities comes a new name. So you're not getting rid of me. <clears throat> Excuse me. The Comedy Shack is going away because it's making way for the Joey Harris Show. The Joey Harris Show will be my new show here every week on Blog Talk Radio under my own umbrella. So I'm reaching out and and stepping out on my own. And so with that, uh, we'll we'll have kind of a new format, although we will have... um, different segments just like we had here. So the spirit of the Comedy Shack will live on. But the Joy Heron Show will be now on Monday night. Monday night at 9 o'clock. Every single Monday night I will be here 
to entertain you all, and I hope that you join me for this fantastic journey. It has been my honor and a privilege joining you here on Saturday night, but um, this is the next chapter of my life. As I I tell many people, my life more of a book than a movie. I know you've heard that before. So this is just the next chapter. This has been a fantastic chapter, but the spirit of the Comedy Shack will always live on, and we are carrying that with us into the Joey Harris show. So you will start your week off right with me every Monday night, starting Monday, December 16th at 9 p.m. I will uh, send out all of the announcements on social media will be on my Facebook. Um, we're just going to have a great time for all of us to be here together. And I just hope you join me for this next uh, chapter of my life with the Joey Harris show. But I can't end this chapter of my life comedy chat without first of all thanking you all for being here each and every week telling a friend helping me grow the show all of my um, callers that I've had the people that I've interviewed including Big PJ uh, man P Big was the funnest work my good friend there Kenny uh, and everybody who has just contacted me being touched by the things that I have shared with you, including um, the Maybe I Should Just Shut Up and Go Away trilogy, uh, the No More Saturday story that Darn's had. Just so many of you have reached out to me, and I just uh, I thank you so very much and, and hope you join me for the next act of my life. Um, you all, I think Big TJ and everybody at the Go Radio Network for just the, all the opportunities that they have given me hosting the Comedy Shack here each Saturday night. Um, my stand hosting What's Trending Now. I really enjoyed that with Joey Stack. Uh, getting to meet all of you wonderful people, all of the places that we have been from Durham to Rock Mail, um, to Virginia, all the places I've hosted the Comedy Shack on the road, the bowling show, doing car stories uh, and all of that. It is just a fantastic ride that I have been on. I've enjoyed every minute of it. And I hope that you can enjoy me for the rest of it. But for the last time here, um, for joining me, as always, you can contact me. Several ways. I am on Twitter at Z Joey Harris. You can contact me and be my friend on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Joey H37. As always, email me, Joey Harris Comedy at gmail.com. <clears throat> this is going to be tough, folks, but we're going to get through it. So here we go. Take a big. Um, of my Coke Zero that is behind me. For the last time here on the Comedy Shack, we are closing it up. Good night. 
for the Joey Harris show.